I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Early on, I was given this insane opportunity to dress Beyonce, and that was my big, I mean, I was not physically or mentally ready for this to <laughs> to land in the team's inbox, but it did. And then all of a sudden, I, I really love sport clothing and things that stretch and things that stay close to the body and things where you can move. And really doing stage costumes is the most refined version of that because imagine making a jacket where Beyonce has to be able to do what she does yeah. in it. And so suddenly the jacket has to be totally built a different way so that she can do her thing and you don't restrict her. Imagine your jacket restricting Beyonce on stage. Nightmare. Hi, I'm Kemi Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter. Where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. Hello, Kemi. Hey, Monica. Hey, we're in the same room today. We are in the same room today. No letters, no awkward letters to each other. No, not this time. It's great to be back in London. And we have a fantastic guest on the show today. That's right. Casey Cadwallader, who is the new young designer at the Mugler Fashion House, is about to join us in the studio. And we're excited. Yeah, it comes at a time when Mugler has just changed hands. It's It's been sold by the Clarence family and been bought by L'Oréal, which is a huge... Huge deal. Huge deal, yeah. But also, Casey is in his first role as creative director, um, having worked at Acne and also... Lueve, I think. Lueve. Yeah. And he, he's brilliant and has got quite a celebrity cast involved with the brand already mm -hmm. um, and has a really interesting approach to design. So we're really looking forward to speaking to him. Especially as I think it got us thinking about the role of a creative director within a big conglomerate. Yeah, like in Paris, these classic big old French houses, you know, which are a very important part of the French economy, um, they, you know, do employ these quite stunning creatives. And, well, recently there was a bit of a kerfuffle with a big brand specifically. Oh, you're talking about the Trump, Louis Vuitton. Gesquier. Debacle. Debacle. Gesquier. For say. anyone who has not seen the memes or the internet going into Meltdown Fury, the boycott, Louis Vuitton, etc., etc., the other day when um, Louis Vuitton was opening a factory in Texas, Donald Trump joined to cut the cord alongside Bernard Arnault and the uh, internet went into Meltdown. Not, not only because um, 
we now know that uh, Trump cannot say Vuitton. What did he say? Vuitton. Vuitton. Like Vuitton, <laughs> but Vuitton. And Scandalous. didn't he make a really inappropriate remark? He just kind of made this joke about how much money he'd spent on Vuitton over the years on the ladies, which just just sat badly with everyone. Just the sheer sexism of the whole. Th- I don't know why. Just everything he manages to say comes out wrong. It's so crass. Anyway, the creative director of Vuitton, Nicolas Guetzger, apparently agreed. He decided, with us, with, yeah, not agreed, Trump. <laughs> yeah, and he decided to speak out about the political association of LVMH, which is such a bold it's move. so bold, and I was so impressed. So, so I'm going to read out what he said because I feel like we're going to, even just talking about it, adds a bit of backbone to his, yeah. his balls, if I can say things we like that. We want to add some backbone to his balls. On 20th of October, standing against any political action, I am a fashion designer refusing this association. Hashtag Trump is a joke. Hashtag homophobia. The comments were turned off on the post, but it got 10,000 likes, many of which were from significant members of the fashion industry, including British Vogue's editor-in-chief, Edward Enningful, celebrity stylist and friend of the pod, Kate Young, and today's guest, Casey. So we thought that we'd mention that. Well, do you think we we should ask him, right? Yeah, I think so. I I just really think that the question of whether there's a place for politics in fashion is really interesting in general, Kevin. Yeah, I agree. Let's face it, fashion people do have a certain amount of influence, often over younger generations, uh, over many different generations, but specifically over young people. And at what point do you speak up when you fundamentally disagree with something? I have to say, the question has actually been on my mind a lot recently. There are, um, as you know... Some well-known members of my French family that have drastically opposing opinions to my own on certain political debates, specifically in France. Um, And it's really been bothering me lately. Well, the key debate here is medically assisted procreation, aka in vitro, which is finally just now being passed into law as a right for single and lesbian women by Macron's government. Mm. This was not the case before, unlike in my homeland or here in England. Um, Over the past few weeks, I have debated whether to put my two cents worth in as I do fundamentally disagree with a specific person who publicly spoke about this and I share a last name with. Um, It's not for lack of general respect, but when it comes to the necessity to speak out about what you believe in politically, I can't get around it. I mean, I really think that denying a science that we have developed to women because they do not want to procreate with men is not only sexist, but a denial of fundamental human rights. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you you know I agree with you. I wrote my dissertation on this. Preaching to the choir Mm -hmm. here. But it's interesting uh, because I I guess like the reason why your brain has merged these two things is because in a way, Gisquier has gone against his fashion family. He has. He's gone against his elders. He's he's gone in and he's, he's... yeah, he's come out with a really ballsy statement. Exactly. Disassociating, disassociating himself with who effectively is his boss, his employer. And I really kind of, I really respect that. And I'm sure he's in trouble for that now. But to a whole generation, that's really inspiring to stand up for what you believe in and to to do the right thing. And I think not everybody at LVMH has said anything. 
Um, and that makes it all the more commendable. So, yeah, I mean, enough about that. Trump should not take up all of our show, but I just thought it would be worth saying something. Absolutely. Vuitton, futon. <laughs> no thanks. No thanks. Anyway, enough about Trump and his uh, blonde wig. Vuitton, futon. <laughs> Let's move on to today's guest, Casey Cadwallader in the studio, ladies and gentlemen. You know, the trees and all that. So. That's nice. And yeah. when was your fashion awakening, please? Mm. Well, as a young boy, I was very obsessed with music. So I was connected to MTV. That was sort of my channel out of New Hampshire. So it was all Madonna and Janet Jackson for me, basically. So that kind of got me started. Yeah, just like knowing that there was something else out there that was kind of fun and flashy. So I think that was sort of the beginning. And also my mom is quite the fashion plate. So uh. she was always taking me shopping and taking me to Boston to get my hair cut. Like, you know, she kind of grew this in me, I guess. But yeah, I actually didn't start in fashion. I started, I wanted to be a jeweler when I was young. Ah. And I actually got a job <clears throat> illegally at 12. 
uh, at a jewelry store. At 12. At 12. I think you were supposed to be 13, but I was 12. And it's just because I kept going to the jewelry store with rocks that I was collecting. And finally, the jeweler who owned the place one day was like, kid, why do you keep coming in here? And I said, oh, because I want to be a jeweler. And he said, oh, do you want a job? And so I started doing that. So I did that from like 12 to 20. So I was like a goldsmith. So I made rings and carved waxes to make custom jewelry. It's that, not easy that. I actually no, know I mean, some goldsmiths. It's like a real <laughs> crap. This is impressive. Yeah. And I just learned from him. I was his apprentice, basically. So I did that for a long time. And then that kind of changed. Like I then started designing cars because I think I just wanted something like bigger that was metal. And then I actually didn't go to fashion school. I went to architecture school. Yeah, we were going to ask you about yeah. that. The internet told us that. How did you go from architect to creative director? Oh, I mean, it was a, a long road. But I think early on, I mean, even when I was an architecture student, my projects were about furniture and fashion. And I tried to sort of relate the fact that architecture is kind of your third skin, fashion is sort of your second skin, and furniture somewhere in between. What do you mean your third skin? Your like outside, like all these little layers. Oh, oh my these God, layers. I love that Yeah, because like what there's your skin, you? your clothes, the room, and also the furniture. Because you I touch the furniture. Too. So yeah, my thesis project in architecture school was about the subtle differences between those layers. But I don't know. I guess in the end, I just realized that I wanted to make things and it didn't really matter what it was. And the cool thing about being a creative director is that you start to move back to environments and like what is your showroom going to look like and what is your store going to look like and what is the fashion show going to look like it all kind of comes back around mm. in the end i think when you're younger as a fashion designer you might just have to design shirts or shoes or whatever but later on it gets to kind of come back again so architecture does play into i mean your oh, I knowledge mean, of architecture <clears throat> must surely play into yeah, your yeah i mean a Mugler jacket is built like a car or built like a building. Yes. There's all sorts of things going on on the inside to make it stand up, basically. So, yeah, you always start with what am I trying to make? What material am I making it out of? And then how do you achieve it? So it's kind of the same process for me, no matter what the thing is. Also, the Mugler silhouette does feel very central. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and Mr. Mugler was very interested in architecture, too. And you can really see that in his clothes. And mm. that's part of why I loved even, you know, to interview for this job and then to get this job was because I felt this big connection to the work before and knowing that I could make good work for the future. Very cool. So if I, in a very sort of like school teachery way, made you define your approach generally, how would you define it? And how does it kind of differ from your predecessors? Well, I don't know so much about how my predecessors worked, but I know how Mr. Mugler worked because I've mm -hmm. asked a lot of questions. But for me, it's really a big mix up of different things at the beginning. A lot of it is about fabric research first. But at the same time that you do fabric research, you have to kind of have a sense of where you want to go with the shapes and the cuts and all of that. So there's outside research first. I mean, but I don't really look at that much fashion. I tend to look at architecture and art and sculpture and paintings and then try to really mix it together in a very personal way. Because when you do that, you're kind of guaranteed to be making something new instead of, you know, like copying somebody or copying some jacket from the 70s. I'm like less into that and more into if I take this and cross it with this and then I saw this painting, then I want to make this and I kind of close my eyes and then the sketch mm -hmm. of the jacket comes out. And then you know that you're doing 
what you really want to do and that it's more personal. I think that's the thing. Like as I kind of grew into this position and to be a creative director instead of a design director or whatever I was before, you have to just do what you think is right. And if you don't just do what your gut says, then you're probably being influenced too much by something else and mm -hmm. you're not going to make something as original maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's why I try to be a little bit abstract with what I look at first. Well, your first show at Mugler was lauded as a success before it even started. Started, yeah. <laughs> you draw quite the crowd. How on earth do you get Cardi B to show up? Cardi B! You must know. I mean, it's not because I did anything specific. I think... <laughs> I think a lot of things happen due to a lot of luck, but I think, I mean, it was really important for me very early on. There's a part of Mugler that comes down to the clothes, and then there's this other part, which is what makes Mugler have such a pulse, and that's culture. Mm. So music, musicians, dancers, performance, singers, all of this is what gives the brand life. And early on, I was given this insane opportunity to dress Beyonce, and that was my big I mean, I was not physically or mentally ready for this to, <laughs> to land in the team's inbox, but it did. And then all of a sudden, I, I really love sport clothing and things that stretch and things that stay close to the body and things where you can move. And really doing stage costumes is the most refined version of that because imagine making a jacket where... Beyonce has to be able to do what she does yeah. in it. And so suddenly the jacket has to be totally built a different way so that she can do her thing and you don't restrict her. Imagine mm -hmm. your jacket restricting Beyonce on stage. Nightmare. Didn't yeah. something happen with a boot or something that came off one? There was something. I mean, yes, yeah, but it was not Mugler. It no, certainly was <laughs> We made her specific dancing shoes with heel wow. heels that uh, did not come off. <laughs> Gosh. But I think... I think early on that kind of sent a signal out that I wanted to do a lot of things for performers. And I don't know if Cardi saw that or what happened, but all of a sudden it was a week before the show and they said, oh, Cardi wants to come to the show. And I was like, oh, please. I was like, <laughs> what I was like, I was like don't say that to me. That's going to get me all crazy. And then she really did want to come. What's she like IRL? So sweet and so funny and yeah. also very kind and just, I mean, very unfiltered in this really beautiful way that I think is such a strong way to be. So it was the night before the show and, you know, we had to figure out what her look was. And I'm in the middle of like getting ready for my first show and obviously a little bit beside myself. And I was just trying to figure out. So basically what we did is we just made a look out of things that were duplicates from the show or other things that we were going to show in different colors or whatever. And a member of my team went to her hotel room and I didn't because it was like really down to the wire moment. I couldn't leave. And the report that I got back, like the whole team was just like laughing and having fun. And she was like running around naked. And, you know, she's just a really chill cool girl. It seems like it, but I also really like her rants about Medicare for All and how Obama cares more about your <clears throat> than Trump, which like <laughs> honestly, this is the thing. I cried laughing. But that's what makes her so but amazing. But she's right. Yeah, but she also like, she has a way of communicating that's exciting and clear and funny and smart all at the same time. So yeah, so she's still part of the family and yeah, I mean, I've always loved her, so I feel very lucky. Yeah, so as you did with the, with the Cardi B, we We've noticed that you're marrying pop culture and high culture with great elegance. Oh, thank you. I mean, it 
it's really who I am too. I mean, as I mentioned, things started with Madonna and Janet for me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I love music. I listen to everything. The second something comes out, it's playing in the studio. I mean, that's just who I am. And that's also why Mugler is such a good match is because Mugler is so much about staying connected to that. It is supposed to be pop and it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be sexy. It's supposed to be all these things. And at the same time, it's always been about couture. It's been very refined mm-hmm. at the same time. It's also important. I mean, Mugler to me is a very democratic brand. I want everyone to feel like they can be a part of it. Mm. And I think this pop side just makes it so much more fun and open in a way. We've taken a peek at your, well, we've stalked your Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) And it's full of inspiring travel shots, museums, modern art, many items we added to our to-do list. We'd like clearly have a lot to, (laughs) to keep up with. But how did these various elements go hand in hand in terms of informing your approach to Mugler? I mean, they're really the root of everything. I travel as much as I possibly can. I mean, as an American boy who's lucky enough to live in Paris, I get to be able to go to so many places that used to be an eight-hour trip to get there, and now I can get there in one. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's just you get to see so many things. So, I mean, I love to find myself in, I don't know, I found a museum in Como, Italy, when I was there for fabric research that no one goes to. And inside was just, I mean, it had like handmade lace, and it had these beautiful Mm. paintings and armor and jewelry and all these things. Basically, my iPhoto is like this gold mine and it's things that I grabbed from Instagram mixed with this weird museum that I went to mixed with the floor in this place and it just all gets printed out and then sort of synergized into these boards where you start to see there's something about that kind of a curve that I'm interested in how do I make that translate into the clothes this season sort of a thing you know it's always it really is about hybridizing my actual interests and then just it's weird I was trying to go through my iPhoto from two years ago to find something I got stuck for like six hours and I was just like printing these things out and emailing things to my team and just trying to like it it became almost overwhelming because you see that there's just this like archive of crazy things that when you mix them together are really what started up for me. So uh, speaking of archives, you (laughs) have in the past mentioned, I believe, that you're very privileged to have the whole Mugler heritage and archives to work with. So so. we were wondering which parts of the house's history have inspired you the most so far? There's so many good parts. And that's the thing that's really almost challenging about Mugler is that there's so much there. There's the 70s, which was one sort of vibe. There's so many different things that happened in the early 80s that were very, very specific. And then I think strongest in most people's memories are the late 90s, you know, super couture, super chic side of Mugler. But the thing that I realized early on is that he really made all different types of clothes. He did denim, he did cotton, he did safari jackets, he did sports stuff, he did lycra, he did fleece, he did everything. And I think people mainly remember the slick sexy black part but Mm. there's really so much more and there also was such a big business at that time he was really dressing people and he was dressing people in things that they loved and that they could wear every day there was a real clothing aspect to something that we all remember as a much more cinegraphic crazy couture world for me every season actually starts with the archive and I just sort of grab a chunk that I happen to be into at that time the archive is all stored in a very safe facility that's you know, outside of town. And so basically, I just have to pull a bunch of images of things that I would like to have, and then they all get brought to the office. And so the white gloves Mm. come out, and we get our fit model, and we have these like play sessions where we just put it on and see what it is. But the thing that's crazy is that 
you know, you think you know what it is because you've seen a picture of it. But when you see it in person, mm. it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, especially if we're going back to when runway pictures are these grainy little tiny runway images and you're like, oh, that's a beautiful green jacket. And then you get it in front of you and you're like, I had no idea it was made out of that. Or mm. I had no idea that it had pads here or the detail of the button or the top stitching or whatever. It, it really comes to life when you get it in your hands. So we take a bunch of pictures. We study things. We, we really have fun with it. And then we send it away. And I think then we sit with that in our heads and then we just make new things from a place of being really informed about what the archive meant and how it was done and what made it special. And then you got to close your eyes and kind of start over. I don't want to just riff on what he did. I want to do it for today. I want to kind of like embody his spirit and his state of mind, but make it for now. Right, exactly. So that kind of leads me to the other thing that I was wondering, and I've actually wondered this for a long time, just about designers at houses with great histories like yours. How do you decide when it's time to bring back a certain moment in fashion history? Why now? You know, how do you deal with that in your head? I mean, there is a reality to the fact that I have the job now. And I no, have, yeah. And I, and I have to know, but you have to like live in the time that you're in. Yeah. And then you have to naturally know that you got to reach to why am I attracted to that jacket versus that jacket? Right. It's because. I connect to it. And I honestly, that's all I need. Right. But so like, okay, no, I kind of like to think of what my, you know, one of my parents would ask me when I try and think about this kind of thing. Like, they'd be like, but why are the 70s back right now? And I don't know what to tell them. Well, I don't either. I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm a little different in that I don't think that way. You don't think that way. Well, and now that the 70s have just happened. No, I know. It's That's a, a it's dumb kind, example. It's but. A, no, but, it, no, but it's yeah. true. Why did that happen? I mean, I think I have reason. I think I know why. I think certain stylists are into it right. and it sort of starts to happen. There are waves that happen no matter what. And maybe now they're all fed by Instagram. Who knows? But there, there are waves. And I think... This is also why I try to be a little more obscure with what I'm doing is yeah. because I don't want to land in that. When it just happens, it's fine. You know, like if you do green and then all of a sudden someone else does green. I mean, but honestly, if you want to make a story about green, you can always pull 10 designers who did green. Right. And honestly, sometimes it's way more obscure than green. It's literally bicycle shorts. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. think about how random that was at the time. <clears throat> but it isn't, it isn't, because suddenly, like, everybody's talking about Lady Diana on Instagram, and yeah, suddenly, yeah, like, yeah. everyone's reposting her gym looks, and then suddenly every designer is coming up with a bicycle short because it feels like of the now. I think that this sort of stuff just is always happening on, yeah. like, many different levels. It's just, like, this matrix of information that people are soaking up all the mm. time. So I should stop trying to, like, over-intellectualize it and just accept I mean, I think, waves. yeah, I mean, I think that's just the way culture works right now. I mean, sure, sometimes I intellectualize it and I try to focus on something for a certain reason. And sure. most of the time I'm just like, I want to do that. I just like it. Yeah. And, and that's what you just have to do it. And you really are doing that. I mean, the opening look at your most recent show was incredible. <laughs> Featuring Bella Hadid. The one and only in a cropped black jacket, neck corset, and as uh, Nicole Phelps in her Vogue runway, I love the way she put it, said, uh, derriere lifting stockings. I mean, who doesn't want a derriere lifting stocking? I don't know. That whole thing, doing that look in general. I mean, when we came upon that look in the studio, we were all sort of dying because it was just this twist of it being so 
wrong and also so right. And it just made everyone really fired up when we put it together. Yeah. I mean, that was basically a, a swimsuit that we had engineered to look like it had the same transparent corsetry that that jacket had in the show. We had this whole transparent corsetry group happening. And then the hosiery we designed for resorts. And there's a big aspect of what I'm trying to do that has to do with body shaping because Mugler was so much about body con and about showing the silhouette of the body and also kind of re-engineering it, Mm. squeezing that waist, Mm. adding to those shoulders, padding the hips, making that part of the body look really round. And the more you work at Mugler, the more you realize that there's a way it should be done to be really on the same path as the DNA of the brand. So it's not like you're going to make the waist look big, for example. You know, uh-huh. you're not going to make a boxy thing unless it's a menswear reference or whatever. There's mm-hmm. ways that you have to work it. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, I mean, we have dresses now that have corsets built into them, but they're just corsets that are bonded to the inside that are actually stretchy. It's like a woman's secret. So she's wearing a black dress, but inside there's this thing around her waist that's shaping her in more. But that's like new sport technology. That's more comfortable than your classic corset. Yes, completely. I mean, a real corset, you can't breathe, you can't move, you can't pee, can't eat, all of that. And this one, you can actually like bend down and tie your shoes. I mean, it's meant to actually work for people today. So back to the hoisting derriere situation. (laughs) So we kind of have started to buy all these weird um, shapewear devices and like things that people wear when they're weightlifting to support their back. Or weightlifting. Yeah, there's all this weird stuff on the internet. So, I mean, we basically went on like Ali Baba and bought like every shapewear contraption you can imagine. And we put them all on and we started to see like, okay, so if we make a cut here and we pull up here, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a butt lifter. So basically we made we made these tights that are they're also kind of bulletproof. They're not like the kind of tights that get runs. They're out of like a sport mesh so that they you can wear them. We had one pair for making looks all season long and they never tore. So That's great because tights are very unsustainable. That's yeah. incredible. No, but, but this is like real life stuff. This is yeah. actually going to be useful for people. And the idea is that the butt lifting thing is supposed to be under your skirt or under your dress. But when... <laughs> when you look as really good as be- Bella Hadid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would just have been a real shame to it cover it up. <laughs> here, here. Phelps also called this your most Muglerian collection to date. Would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, before I started at Mugler, my sexy side was a little bit more intellectual sexy, like more sensual and like showing a bit of leg. But I I wasn't as I'm developing my more hardcore side. And I think this was my show (laughs) where I was like, okay, (laughs) this is Mugler. I got to make it sexy. We always look at really trashy things in the studio. We look at like nasty 80s bathing suits and like weird tacky bodysuits and like weird like internet club wear like all the time and I think that's and that's how we really it's it's really I mean that's how we have fun so we get all I mean we look at all that stuff and then we look at couture and we somehow like smash it somewhere in the middle and that's why I like that look so much and why it became look one was because it was a little bit nasty and a little bit chic all at once so and while we're on the topic of Bella Hadid that new jumpsuit that you put her in for the Harper's Bazaar Icons <laughs> oh, party. Yeah. Wow. That's where our relationship began. Waist clinching corset, sheer top, high waist briefs. <laughs> so the whole thing came from, it's this fabric that I found that's a transparent jersey. So 
it's body shaping, but it's transparent at the same time. When I found it, it was in this really awful purple color. And we made this one prototype and it was kind of like wearing transparent shorts because you could see that it was shaping you, but you saw right through it. So it's almost like it has its little secret built in. Mm. And then it just became this idea of making this full bodysuit out of it, but it has a million cuts in it. So all of the cuts are shaping you everywhere. But it's a little bit stretchy, but it's also compressing. It's kind of has like almost like running clothes. It has a, com- a compression aspect to it. And we made it for her custom. And I still can remember when it suddenly appeared on the internet and I just was I mean just blown away because Mm. she looked insane in it. And you're making naked sheep. Yeah, the proposal that I had sent her was Naked with Diamonds was the name of the project. And I was just like, whatever, you're just going to be naked from top to bottom because you can be and wear some nice earrings. Like, off you go. And she did it. And she was into it. She did it. I mean, yeah, she's so she's so brave and she's so smart. And I think she likes to have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, And so why does fashion need a bit of sexiness right now? Because that's what you're bringing, I think, to the table. I mean, I think it's a time to return to beauty and I think it's a time to return to body flattery and taking care of yourself and feeling good in your own skin and I think that's something that is the most important to me is you know Mugler is really here to empower people and Mm -hmm. to make people feel as strong as they can possibly feel and my goal is to make that work for as many people as possible through what I can do. So how can overtly sexy, body-conscious dressing be empowering to women? I mean, why aren't these two ideas mutually exclusive? Like, so Mm. many people try and tell us they are. Right, because if you think about, like, first-wave old-school feminism and all of this, it's like, well, like, women who put their bodies on show, like, aren't respecting themselves. But But we know these are, like, old. But, no, there's still people who feel that way. Yeah, because even in Murata, like, being naked on Instagram, being like, I'm doing it for women, she gets heavily criticised. So why? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the 80s, I think women dressed sexy for a very different reason than women dress sexy today. In the 80s, women dressed sexy to attract the attention of men. And I think that that was, it was such a weird time because you were trying to turn people's heads. And now I think women dress sexy when they want to for themselves. And I think that's a very different shift. And that's why I do think it's okay. And I do think it's also about having a range of options. It's also, I mean, it's also how I dress. Like some days I want to wear a tight t-shirt and some days I want to wear a big hoodie. And I think, you know, Mugler is here to provide different things for different days for the same person. Some days you want to wear a big potato sack and some days you want to flaunt it. And (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that. She's really good at that. I flaunt a lot. I I saw a lot of really nice backless things on your Instagram (laughs) that I actually Uh, sent to my team. (laughs) And mini skirts. She's like, the best miniskirt wearer of all time. I'm obsessed with the look of the show, which is the asymmetrical dress where you can see half the, the hoisery hoiked all the way up. I love that. I think it's super sexy. Yeah, cool. Thank you. And yeah. I really, really like suits. Yeah. I mean, and suits <laughs> and are, shoulder pads. Yeah, suits are such a fun thing to work on because you can kind of do anything. But I've worn one. I've worn, sadly, it was just before your time, but I have worn a Mugler okay. suit before. Okay. To it I like all my predecessors party. too. I'm, I'm <laughs> yes, one of... they were wonderful as well. <laughs> Ghost of Mugler's past. <laughs> Ghost of Mugler's past. 
Uh, and I wore, you know, the classic black Mugler shoulders. The waist is amazing. It just yeah. brings you in. You look so womanly and sexy yeah. in a suit. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, a suit can do everything. It's all about proportions and carving it out. It's just like making making a new sculpture for you to wear that day. I have a really weird thing to say, but all of this, like these pieces that you get into the studio mm-hmm. that compress people. Did you know that it's all <laughs> the rage for people who have just given birth to wear compressing yeah, and also, body <clears throat> pieces? Well, well, to put things back to like just yeah and you just makes your body yeah go back together apparently i don't really know well i mean it's the same thing i mean there's also something called the training corset is when you like train your waist to i mean so people do that i think famously kim kardashian was doing that and also like in the past everyone did it yeah i mean maybe i want victorian era everyone had training corsets and then they and then they got into their big dress but also another thing that's really interesting are uh, post plastic surgery people wear another kind of device to kind of hold it together after surgery and they're very, very interesting looking because they kind of look like somewhere in between scuba suit to go <laughs> diving and like a back brace. Like they're very unsexy, skin-toned uh, Velcro things, <laughs> but they they reinforce a shape and they're also something that we look at a lot because they're they're kind of fascinating to look at. Maybe there's a gap in the market for a really cool post-surgery scuba diving <laughs> If you want to look chic after I mean, surgery. We, we kind of already make stuff that looks like that. <laughs> but Casey's got that down. I'm obviously joking, but hey, like any listeners out there need a business need a business idea, I'm just throwing it at you. I mean, I have not considered, let me say this to you. I have not considered wearing hosiery without anything else until I saw this whole Bella situation. Well, now I good. do I not have the same quite the same lines. I consider that a breakthrough then. But it looks very elegant. <laughs> it does. It's stunning. I mean, I mean they're they're fun. It's funny that I mean, even in resort in our lookbook, I took a picture of a model naked turning around yeah. with them on just because they looked so cool when you yeah. put them on because mm. they that little butt strap that like does the lifting. Yeah. It just makes your butt into a little it's apple. Amazing. It's like perfect. It's so good. I want these nights. Me too. Yeah. Okay, so let's move swiftly along before we talk any more about butts. <laughs> Because sure we could talk about them for a long time. Well, I guess this could be related. So there's um, a lot of praise for your casting. It's diverse. If I understand correctly, this has been part of Mueller since the beginning. Why is casting a variety of different kinds of people and body types and looks important to you? I mean, it seems obvious, but what's your take on it? I mean, this is what I believe in exactly. It's uh, the kind of people I believe in. It's the people around me that I'm inspired by. I want to be able to give something back to them that makes them happy too. I think I worked on the casting for as long as I worked on the clothes this season. We were confirming people in June and July, which is like very early on. A lot of people cast their models at the last minute. And for me, there's a bigger story to tell. There's women who have different backgrounds and different jobs and different ages and different body sizes and Mm -hmm. different interpretations of gender. And all of these things happen to be nailed by Mr. Mugler in the past, Mm -hmm. but they also happen to be exactly what I believe in. And this is also what, for me, makes Mugler the house I love the most is just because there's a lot to be said today. Uh, And there's a lot of people who need to feel good and need to have their stories told and need to be seen as beautiful 
and we need to yeah. change what people see as beauty yeah. because there's so many other things in the world that are beautiful besides people that look perfect. And like, what does that mean anymore? So I don't know. It's just really what I believe in my heart. And in the end, it's one thing just to make clothes. And it's another thing to make clothes for a woman who never imagined themselves going down a runway before, but then making her a custom look that makes her feel so fierce and so strong. And to watch that person light up is what makes me want to go to work. That's like a, a really special version of what I hope happens every time someone wears something from Mugler. But when you get to see that by my choice to include this person, I make their year it's something that i just want to do more and more and more of so cool yeah it's really really amazing and speaking of things like that is more politically charged we also noticed we were talking about this before you arrived we noticed that you liked Giskia's post about the <laughs> trump Vuitton, <laughs> while we're instagram stalking yeah, you exactly we were instagram stalking you and we noticed do you think he acted admirably by speaking up? I mean, does fashion kind of need to get itself involved in politics? Or I mean, fashion is part of culture. Culture is built on politics often, and I don't think you can separate these things mm. out. Mm. I think what I do is very political. I do it. I don't say it mm -hmm. because I think that's my place. I make decisions about who I choose to put in my clothes. I make decisions about what kind of clothes I'm making, and that is already implicitly political. And then I like to let the world process it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to kind of wave a flag about who I cast. I just believe in these people, and I put them on the runway, mm -hmm. and they do such an amazing job, and that's it. And, and I've been instrumental, but it's it's them. that I mean, they're the people who are amazing. Fashion and politics will always be tied together. <laughs> I liked that post because I thought it was very, very, very ballsy. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan, so... You're I, not? Yeah, I know it's <laughs> shocking. Um, but yeah, I am going to try to hold back my opinion of him at the moment. But I thought it was really brave what he did, and I thought it was very risky, and I appreciate the risk. Yeah, I think we, that's exactly what we were we, saying as we, well. We liked it too. Good. Yeah, I mean, I really respect how hard it is to cross that line. And I think he felt something that he just like could not sit with and mm -hmm. he had to cross the line. And I'm sure it's been really difficult for him probably since he did it. Probably, yeah. yeah. And I it's mean, also very inspiring for others who felt yeah. like they could yeah. never cross that line. And thanks to him, maybe they feel like they will be able to. Exactly. Yeah. No, as I think we were discussing. Yeah. No, I mean, good for him to speak up. I mean, that's why we have our voices. So. Fashion No Filter is behind you. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you. So nice this to meet you. This is my uh, my first. I look forward to podcast. getting a podcast. Yeah. So we I'm did it here. I look forward to get my bum, my derriere, in one of those. <clears throat> yes, we would like our derrieres lifted, please. <laughs> Consider it Just taken FYI, care of. <laughs> I was nicknamed. You know, my surname is Camille Charrière. I, I have a nickname, which is Camille Derrière. Some people do this. <laughs> happens. It has happened that That's, I have been I mean, it's a good that. one. It's a good one. It's a good nickname. That's a good pun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you so much, Casey, for joining us. What a lovely guy. What a smart, lovely, charming man. And now we need to start a petition to get Mugler to produce those tights. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to the show today. 
And please remember that if you love us, show us your love by rating and reviewing us. By the, by the way, we got a really nice review this week. Someone oh, yeah. said that they we were their breath of fresh air on their commute. on the Was it the Northern Line? The Central Line. The Central Line. It really made our day. Thank you. Thank you. Don't think we don't read the reviews. We do. So we please do. keep them coming. I nearly cried tears of joy when I read it. <laughs> she asked me whether emotional. it was me. She was like, I was like, did you write this? <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. We do have real listeners. Anyway, thank you so much to whoever did that. Please keep them coming. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 